This is Evermore Poe, the turbulent youth of Edgar Allan Poe. Chapter 48, Part 2, Finale. She was as beautiful as ever, and in some ways, even more so. Curls framing her cheeks, Eddie began to hyperventilate. A stranger offered him a chair. He refused and turned back for one more look. He stared in disbelief at the arcade of strangers. He did not recognize a single face. Eddie prayed that this was another lucid dream, or that maybe Tom had slipped him some early opium as a pre-river gag. But when his eyes landed on Judge Stannard, he knew it was very real. Eddie approached the coffin. Beside the beautiful corpse was a small portrait of Bobby. He turned back to the kind stranger who had offered him a chair. Do you know where I can find Bobby? I think he's in the garden, the man replied. Fighting back tears, Eddie left the parlor and Jane and his heart behind forevermore. The sun blinding him, Eddie stepped into the garden blooming with life. He spotted Robert on the ground cradling his rabbit and took a seat beside him on the ground. They sat there together quietly for a time. Finally, Eddie said, I'm so sorry. Robert slowly looked up, his lip quivering, until he all outburst into tears. In their shared agony, the mentor and the pupil sat as one. Why? was the only word Robert could muster. Eddie searched for the words. I, I don't know. Eddie always thought he'd be prepared for the next time he knew loss. The deaths of his mother Eliza, his father David, his grandfather, plus the separation of Henry and Rosie, convinced him he was tough to the core. He could take on anything. When death came again, he told himself he'd be prepared, but he had always pictured it being someone old, like Uncle Galt, or Auntie Yu, or his grandmother. Eddie sat in shocked silence, tears pulling on his lids. The knot in his throat grew bigger. He fought composure. I have to go, Eddie said. He got up and brushed off his suit. Bobby, he added, there are a lot of people who loved her, people who love you, and that includes me. The first tears fell just as Eddie turned away, but in a moment, he lost all composure. Glancing back at the mansion as he left, he noticed the house dressed in mourning with black wreaths and dark drapes hidden by bursting cherry blossoms. From the top of the hill, Eddie surveyed Richmond below. Blue skies define the landscape. Just an hour before, it was the most beautiful day on record, and suddenly, it was the bleakest. He couldn't go to the riverside now. He needed a place to be alone, a place where he could sulk, cry out, or scream in agony. Eddie made his way through St. John's graveyard until he reached his mother's grave. Cradling his knees on the dead grass, he finally allowed the tears to flow. He cried for Jane and lost love. He cried for missed opportunities and things left unsaid. He cried for the loss of his real mother and his real father and the separation of everyone that was left. He cried for the sadness of Francis and the absence of Juliet. Mostly, Eddie cried for everything that he could not fix. He sat there watching as the tombstone shadows grew and became distorted in the afternoon sun until finally there was no shadow left at all. Eddie loved Jane. He always had but now he began to see her a little differently. Was her fair complexion a sign of beauty or an unhealthy pallor? Was her feminine grace a beauty or fragility? Eddie wondered if in those last few visits, whether Jane had been reaching out to express pain, not passion. But the single worst part of losing Jane was the fact that Eddie couldn't share his grief with anyone. 
No one knew he had been in love with her. He couldn't tell his friends. His brother lived too far away. His little sister had a big mouth. And he had lied to Pa directly when he was nearly found out. Eddie had convinced everyone that he was just a friend of the Stannard's son, and they could never know the painful truth, that he would have to mourn Jane in absolute solitude. It would be an unimaginable pain that he would have to take to his own grave. Eddie curled up on the graveyard grass and allowed a lifetime of pain to pour out. He was broken evermore. Evermore Poe is the historical account of a teenaged Edgar Allan Poe. If you'd like to learn more about Eddie's devolution to become the master of the macabre, please don't forget to follow and share this podcast. Evermore Poe was researched, written, produced, and edited by yours truly, journalist Chris Kosach. I began my research more than a decade ago using vetted journalistic methods with corroborated fact-checking from respected sources including the Library of Congress, periodicals obtained from multiple Poe museums, notable scholars and the National Archives, among other collections, strung together in a narrative style. In other words, my story is mostly true. Our music today is from Esther Abrami. It should be noted that some of the characters in Evermore Poe are composites of real people, including servants and slaves who lived in the Allen home at the time of our story. Please note, while Evermore Poe is based on fact, it should not be confused with the historic record. For that, I hope you will go down your own rabbit hole to research one of the most thrilling American authors of all time. Thank you so much for listening to Evermore Poe, The Turbulent Youth of Edgar Allan Poe. My name is Chris Kosach, and I wrote, created, and produced, and digitally edited this audiobook, which has been free from the beginning. Almost everything that happened in this story comes from fact. We still have an alternate ending or epilogue, which we'll post tomorrow, November the 1st. And also a tease for what's coming up in Season 2 that, again, truly happened in Edgar Allan Poe's untold teen years. Trust me, it's fascinating. Thank you so much for listening. If you would kindly consider rating and reviewing this podcast, and a subscription would be nice too. We would be grateful evermore. See what we did right there? Until next time, I'm Chris Kosach. Thank you so much for listening.